Welcome to the Abbot Loop Community Church podcast. Enjoy this message from Mark Drake. Listen, I, we are we are just absolutely loving being back here, and uh, this has been for almost twenty years now where our where our real heart has been. If y'all could just control the weather, we would live here. But uh, no, no, I'm no. If you could all get my children and all ten of my grandchildren to move up here, we would live here. Yeah. And we've said many times, though I do love Alaska, I'm, I'm a heavily addicted fly fisherman, uh, so I do love Alaska. But the reason we love this place so much is because you all are here. If you were somewhere else, you know, like warmer, then, then we would love going there because it's not just a location for us, it's people. And our hearts have been joined with you all for many, many years. And for those of you that are a little newer, uh, my name is Mark Drake, and uh, we've been here hundreds of times, and uh, we just uh, consider this really to be home for us, and we're grateful that this is where we go. For the last few weeks, and today and next Sunday, I've been teaching on the mystery and miracle of new covenant grace. We've talked about the difference between the way grace is used in the Old Testament. Basically, it means mercy, But in the New Testament, mercy and grace are completely distinct. They're not at all the same. And uh, unless we understand that, we can't put our faith in it. So that's what we've been talking about. That is from my book, God's Brilliant Plan. Everything is on sale in the back, half price, uh, 10 bucks. So you can can pick this up. Who doesn't have this? But lady right there, ma'am, come right up here. You raised your hand. Be bold. There you go. All right. And... uh, Because the issue of women in church leadership has been, for a long time, a big battle within the body of Christ, Uh, personally, I would say sadly, but 99% of it comes because we don't have any real understanding, I say the general we, of what culture for women was like in the first century. If you had never, ever, ever been allowed to have a single day of education, never, that would be you if you're a woman in the first century, not allowed. The only women who were educated in the first century were among the most wealthy because they could hire private tutors. They were not allowed to go to school. So when they get saved and come into the local house church, they ought not to imagine that they can be teachers. Yet, don't ordain a a novice to be an elder. That doesn't mean that particular person can never, ever be an elder. It's just not, say it with me, not yet. Exactly. So because of that, we've marked this book down to five bucks because I want everybody to have it. Who does not have this book? All right, there you go. I love these women. See, they're bold. You guys just sat there like you're wondering about the football scores, you know, uh, which isn't which is not a bad thing to wonder about. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Oh, listen, I got a iPad somewhere here. <laughs> I'm on my phone. I'm checking the game. You're absolutely right. Uh, all right. Well, get out your Bibles. I, I trust. That, uh, that some of you have been taking notes so that you can go back over and 
remind yourself and reading your mind. You know, we've been saying all along, we, if, if, if we're born again, if we're believers, whatever struggles we may have, we do not have a spirit problem because God has given us his spirit. And Paul says that your spirit and, the, and God's spirit are joined and you become one spirit. We don't have a heart problem. Well, if I could just get my heart in line, then I, that's not the problem. God has given us a new heart. That's what happens at conversion. The miracle of conversion, the miracle of regeneration is that we are given a new heart. Our problem is we still have the same old mind. And so the Bible teaches us throughout that it's the renewing of our mind. And as we go over these scriptures about the mystery and the miracle of new covenant grace, Christ living in us and living through us, we have to renew our minds in this all the time. I said last week, and I, I, uh, Linda said, you know, when you just pop off things like that, it's easy to misunderstand you, um, which is not hard for me to believe because I misunderstand me with some frequency. And uh, But I said last week, somebody asked us, you know, what is your, as a married couple now for 49 years, we celebrate our anniversary last week while we were here. And uh, we went all out. We went, I mean, we just... 49 years, we thought, you know, we'll just, we'll just really go all out. We got two extra large carnivore pizzas at Moose's Tooth <laughs> and stuffed ourselves. Um, you know, during this COVID season, I'm losing hair, more, even more hair. And I'm gaining more weight. Now, I don't know if the hair is moving down here and just, you know, adding to the tire, but... Um, but Linda and I, we talk about this all the time. We share these verses back and forth all the time. Now, of course, there is a way to share a Bible verse that's probably not healthy <laughs> because it usually ends up with, the Bible says, this is what you ought to do, you know. Uh, but we, we feed each other on this stuff all the time. We have to. Because the accuser, God never sleeps nor slumbers, and neither, neither does your accuser. And he will take every opportunity to accuse you, to lead you to believe that you are less before God than what God says you are. So we have to keep doing this over and over again. And what we're talking about during these weeks that, that, that we've been uh, honored to be with you is this miracle of how does God come to live inside of human beings? It's the reason that the New Testament writers call this the mystery. The definition of that mystery, mystery is in Colossians 1, 26 and 27. The mystery, which has been hidden throughout the ages and kept secret until now, Paul said, the revelation of the new covenant in the first century, he said, now we understand that the mystery is Christ living in you, the hope of glory. And today, we're going to talk about this 
phrase in and through, in and through, in and through. And let me read just a quote. I don't know how many of you uh, are familiar with Major Ian Thomas, who was a a distinguished uh, soldier in England and came to Christ and then became a worldwide teacher and author for many, many years. He died uh, just about 15 years ago, but but he influenced millions of people. And uh, listen to what he has to say here. The one who calls you to a life of righteousness is the one who, by your consent, lives that life of righteousness through you. See, what we've been called to do is to invite him to come, take ownership of our lives, but more than that, begin to live, not just in us, that's a mind-boggling concept and a wonderful experience, by the way, but also live through us so that, remember we talked before about Paul saying to the Galatians something very miraculous and mysterious, Christ is being formed in you. In fact, Paul uses maternity language when he says, because you have moved back into thinking by your hard work, you can make yourself right with God and pleasing to God, and you've gone back into works instead of trusting the one who's living in you to change you from the inside out. Because you move back to that, I agonize like a woman giving birth as Christ is being formed in you again. Now, that, that word again is important because that means that it's very possible and even normal for us to be cooperating with the work of the Spirit in our lives and then begin to think, I'm doing pretty good at this Christian stuff. And that's the moment we begin to slide back a little bit, and Christ is no longer being formed. This is a process. Now, how many are really grateful that it's a process, that you don't have to take the final test now? Right? And, of course, the only final test is, is Jesus Lord? Yes, you pass. But the work that he's doing is so very, very critical. And when we talk about Old covenant, new covenant. Old covenant, new covenant. I don't think there's anything more important for us as Christians than to understand the difference. And and I must admit that for 25 years as a local church pastor, I did not understand the difference. And so I mixed Old Testament verses with New Testament verses without understanding that everything written in the Old Testament, though real for them, Peter, Paul, James, John say... Those things now for us are shadows that lead us to the fulfillment of Christ. Now, I believe that physical rest is important, but I don't believe in a Friday night to Saturday night Jewish Sabbath. The reason I don't believe in that is because Jesus came and made the declaration that he was the Sabbath, the eternal rest. So you and I do not have to labor to make God happy. He's already happy. Now, I know Jonathan Edwards is famous for his sermon, 
sinners in the hands of an angry God. We ought to be famous for a message, sinners in the hands of a happy God. He is happy. He's happy with anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. You say, yeah, well, you know, I think I've done that, but man, I'm still struggling with areas of sin and weakness in my life. Join the team. Because Hebrews 4 says that this great high priest that we have, who's already paid the penalty eternally, also understands our weaknesses. Now, God takes you just as you are when you come to him. But he loves you enough to not leave you like that. But the difference is he does the work. And the more I renew my mind, you are working in me. You are, you know, that feeling that I have that I probably ought not to jump in with the filthy joke telling at work, but not judge them either. Guess who that is? That's Jesus inside of you, leading you from the inside out. And the more we learn that, we don't need a church handbook with a list of all the rules about what we have to do to be a real good Christian. We need to become more and more and more aware that he, the Christ, is living in us. But not just this, he wants to live his life through us so that I am surprised when I behave like him. I say, wow, I tried to, I tried to love that dude for years, that guy that I wanted to smack. And now I just, I just feel like I love him. I'm not sure how that happened. Good. So you can't take any credit for it. And oh, by the way, that may actually give that dude some hope that if he'll give his life to Jesus, that changes will happen inside of him too. Now, Jesus had these 12 men for this three, three and a half years. They were Jewish men. They had been raised in and around Jerusalem in the temple. They were very well versed on all things Jewish. And Jesus comes along and uh, says all kinds of things that confuse them. And, you know, I just, I mean, I love, I love the fact that the New Testament records things like Jesus said, I am the bread come down from heaven. And then the gospel writer records that one of the disciples actually turned to another disciple and said, is he trying to tell us we forgot to bring lunch? I love that because I find myself in that stupidity too. I, you know, I'm, I, you know I'm, I'm there. But the last night, just before, and of course Jesus already knows the timetable. He knows what's happening. He's, he's been telling the guys for a long time that the Son of Man must die. And they're, they're, it's just, you know... I was going to say it's ruffling their hair, but I don't want to ruffle my hair and lose any more. But it, it just goes right over their head. They, they, you know, they don't, they just don't understand. So that night, they're having a meal on the day of preparation, the day it would, in our calendar would be a Thursday. And they're sitting around the table having this meal. And for the first time in three and a half years, 
Jesus uses the words new covenant. He says, take this cup and this bread for this is the new covenant. Now, think about that for a minute. What he had just said to them was, I want you to take this bread, which represents my body. I want you to take this cup of wine, which represents my blood. And I want you to open your mouth and take this into yourself for this is the new covenant. This represents me. Now take me into yourself. Say, well, Mark, you know, where where are you getting? Well, let's, we'll, we'll look at this together. This is John chapter 14. And now this is, they're at the table. Jesus is going to be arrested in the garden two or three hours from now. And Jesus says this, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives. Now notice the next word. What is it? With. For he lives with you. But he will be what? In you. This moment in time was the declaration of Jesus that the old covenant, as important as it was, is now coming to an end. In the old covenant, the Holy Spirit did not live inside of human beings permanently. He came upon people for a particular task where they needed divine power and assistance. But Jesus now makes a bold declaration that here's going to be the difference. The one who has been with you and seemed to come and go at different times is now going to come and live in you and he won't be a visitor. He is coming to stay. Later on, he says, he will be with you until the end of the age. He'll be with you until the end. He'll be with you forever. Now, this, 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 this statement had to bring up in their minds as Jewish men who had been taught every day of their lives the most important things that the Old Testament prophets had to say. Their minds had to go. They had to go. To places like Jeremiah 31. Let's look at that. Now this is hundreds of years before Jesus. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke that covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor and say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. Now, that's the prophecy of the coming of the new covenant And then it ends with a declaration of where this new covenant is going to end. It's going to end with every person who has chosen Christ will know God intimately and forever. And this is all about in, in, in. He says it's not going to be like the old covenant. This is good. Whoa. (laughs) Scared me for a minute. Mine. I don't have any money. So if you're going to mug me, that's not, I'm sorry. It's not going to help. 
Let's go on to Ezekiel because this passage is quoted in the book of Hebrews uh, a few times. So we know the important connection there. Now this is Ezekiel prophesying the same thing about the new covenant. I will give you a new heart. Can you say thank you, Jesus? Oh, man. A new heart, a soft heart, where you used to have a stony, rebellious heart against God. Now God's going to miraculously give us a soft heart, a new heart. A heart that he can mold and make into what he wants it to be. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you a heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. Who's going to move you or enable you to obey the Lord? The Holy Ghost living inside of you. The Spirit of Jesus living inside of us. A list of rules will never empower me to obey them. It will make me feel miserable and guilty when I don't. Or when I accidentally do, I'll be proud. And then I will judge all of you just in that area. We only judge people in areas that we think we're doing good in. (laughs) Right? See, but God has set this up so that all transformation in the life of a believer, all the credit goes to him. You say, you know, since you've been doing that Jesus thing, you've become nicer and kinder and more patient. You say, how did that happen? Well, I read this book about, no, 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 I'm not knocking books. I'm selling them. So I'm not knocking them. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not knocking them and take out a loan and buy all, but anyway, but this is all set up so that it would be a mystery that would require trust and that we could not take credit. See, our guarantee is that we are inhabited in this physical body. Look at Romans 8. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. That's one. If anyone does not have the Spirit, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, that's two. Even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, that's three. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal body because of His Spirit who lives in you. That's four. In that short little passage, four times, Paul is calling our attention, renewing our minds, about what this new covenant is all about. Old covenant laws written on stone, human effort to keep them. New covenant, the lawgiver comes to live inside of you and begins to empower you to become more and more like him. You know, if you want to read about and we, uh, let me let me back up and say we need to be really careful about judging other people in their walk with the Lord. We need to be careful. Paul writes a lot about this. He says we should not look at one another after the flesh. 
Even though we looked at Christ that way when he was here in his human form in ministry, we don't look at him that way anymore. We see Jesus in resurrection. And he says that's the way we should look at one another. Now, if you want to think that, uh, you know, if, uh, that you can judge people and their faith by their immediate behavior, then you're going to have real trouble with First and Second Corinthians. There's nearly every kind of sin, including some kind of a bizarre incest thing that was going on there. About every kind of sin you can imagine is listed in First and Second Corinthians, and he's referring in almost every case to them. Not to the lost people in Corinth, but to them. You would think that that would be the perfect time in these two letters to write and say, you all are not trying hard enough. Have you not memorized the Christian rules yet? You need to, you, you need to make a list of everything you're supposed to do and then grit your teeth and try harder. If you were really serious, you wouldn't behave that. How, how many, how many know that kind of talk? That goes on when you look in the mirror. What is the matter with you? I thought you said you loved God, but look at the way you treated your wife. This is disgusting. Now, my wife is not here today, so I can say some of these things. <laughs> but here's what Paul says. Now, I want you to see this, because when you read through First and Second Corinthians, it is easy. On one hand, Paul says... I'm, I rejoice that you people come behind in no spiritual gift. Oh, they love the Spirit. They love the Spirit. In fact, we're told in, in both letters to the churches at Corinth that they love the Spirit so much that they would come together for a house church meeting and they would all just speak out in tongues the entire service and then go home. Paul said, okay, that's not smart. Here's the way you need to act when you come together like that. This can be a part of it, but there's other things that got to go on. But then in between all this, he talks about their selfishness, their pride, their sexual sins. He talks about all this stuff. And he never, never does say, now y'all are going to hell because of this. That's not what he says. This is what he says. I want you to notice this. Give me the first one. This is 1 Corinthians 3.16. Right in the middle of Paul talking about where they are still acting the way they acted in their old life, he says, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? See, rather than saying, you need to look in the mirror, you need to tell God how miserable you feel, and you need to try harder. Rather, he says, you need to look in the mirror and say, Christ is living in me, and the way I'm behaving is contrary to the nature that is now in me. And he who is in me will strengthen me to overcome that if I will simply humble myself and admit I can't do it myself. I can't do this. I can't do this. But I believe that you can because I'm renewing my mind about who lives in me. And as Major Thomas said, the one who wants to make you righteous will come and live in you and live his righteous life through you. But that's not enough because these Corinthian church, these people had some really, really big problems in their behavior. So we read a little bit further. Chapter 6, verse 1. 
If anyone, hey, okay, that's not it. That's my fault. I do apologize. 619, I'll read it to you. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the spirit who is in you? Whom you have received from God. This is the second time in three chapters that Paul is calling their attention back to who is living in and through them. And then 2 Corinthians 13.5. See if we have that. I may have sent you all the wrong ones. Do we have another one? We do. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Now stop right there. Because when we read the Bible, we need to always be asking ourselves and the text good questions. When Paul says, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith, what is the specific thing he wants them to believe? It's answered in the context, the rest of the sentence. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. What test? The growing revelation of who is in me. This was Paul's answer for carnality. Paul's answer for carnality was not, y'all need to get into an accountability group where every week you tell them how miserable you acted last week. That's not what Paul says. Now, James talks about confessing our faults to one another, praying for each other that we'd be healed. Absolutely. There is a place. You know me. I wrote an entire workbook for discipleship. I believe in that. But I do not believe that one human gives account to another as the judge of their life. We gain wisdom. We need good godly examples. And Proverbs 12.1 says, he who hates correction is stupid. That's the international, new international. I love that. He who loves discipline loves life, but he who hates correction is stupid. Now, one of the reasons that I love that is I'd gotten in a big fight with my wife. She called our pastor. He called me in. And I got so mad, I forgot to eat lunch. And late that afternoon, I was really hungry, so I stopped at a Chinese restaurant that was one of my favorites. Sat down, I had some Mugu guy pen. And then came the bill with the fortune cookie. This absolute truth, I still have it. My kids all know it. I cracked that fortune cookie open, and I am telling you the absolute truth, I still have it. He who hates correction is stupid. I've eaten lots of Chinese food. I've never gotten a Bible verse shoot me right between the eyes. But I got it that day. I'm telling you the truth. Man, I jumped in my car. I broke the speed limit on the way home. I repented to my wife. And she said, what happened to you? And I said, blame it on Chinese food. And you know what she said? Eat it every day. But now I want you to listen. Paul's heart broke when people who he had led into intimate life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ kept going back to human effort. 
So he was constantly, constantly reminding people, this is how you overcome carnality, by renewing your mind. That it's not just me here trying hard on the opposite end of that. It is me saying, Lord, I can't do this. But I do believe you are in me and you want to live your life through me. We talked about Dr. Strong's definition of the word charis, which is translated grace and spiritual gift, by the way. That it is the divine influence on the heart and its reflection outward. His influencing me on the inside, but then that manifesting on the outside. Now let's, uh, let, let's read this. Uh, John 15. I am the vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. This is still in the upper room just before the, Jesus is arrested in the garden, and he has just told these guys, before the night's over, you're all going to fall away from me. Then he goes on and says, but you are all clean through my word. Now, chew on that when you go home. You're already clean. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I and you bear much fruit, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, listen, I have known this for over 50 years. But every time I read this passage of Scripture, my mind immediately went to fruit. Fruit, that's it, fruit. I got to bear fruit. That's what God wants from me. He wants me to bear fruit. He's loved me enough to save me, set me free from my sins, and now I got to bear fruit. I got to bear fruit. And I've not been bear- bearing very good fruit like Jesus, so I got to try harder. I got to grin. How many have ever walked through a, a, an orchard and heard the trees grunting and groaning and try to pop out an apple? That's not what happens. What happens is, if the tree is rooted in good soil, Without doing anything, it will naturally produce fruit. Right? It will naturally do that. As long as the branches remain connected and drawing life from the trunk, or in this case, the vine. Give me the vineyard here. When you look at this, we have a vine, we have a branch, and then the fruit is coming out of the branches. And I would look at that and say, that's my responsibility. Fruit. I admit I have not been very fruitful, Lord. But I just want you to know I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. No, I really mean it. You've got to get loud, you know, so God knows you're really serious. I'll never do that again. Well, okay, I realized the last time I did it, I told you that was the last time. But that was actually the next to the last time. This is the last time because I'm really serious now. No vine, no, no branch has ever behaved like that. Why not? Because the branch, I, okay, branches do not have self-awareness. I just want you to understand that. This is a metaphor, and it was a metaphor when Jesus gave it. But think about the metaphor that he uses so these guys who are clearly thick-headed could understand Okay, dudes, here's how it works. I'm the vine. All life comes from me. 
You are a branch connected to me. Here's your job, and here's your only job. Allow my life to flow through you. When the life of the vine flows through the branch, what naturally happens? Fruit. Fruit. But the beauty of that scenario is none of the branches can ever take the credit for the fruit. Because if you cut the branch from the vine, it dies. The vine grows another branch and it bears more fruit. That's what we've been called to be. We're not the fruit producers. We're the channels for his life. Now, Jesus gave these guys this natural metaphor so that they could wrap their minds around what was going to happen. But we're surrounded by natural metaphors of something coming in, and then when it comes out on the other side, it's bigger, it's greater, it's better. Watch this. Give me the rainbow. It's an amazing thing that's going on here. The light that comes from the sun to our eyes is white or yellow, depending on how much haze there is. But notice what happens when that one color of light, so it seems to us, passes through the water particles. That one color breaks into many colors. Go to the prism. Go to the next one. Prism, not prison. See, that's us. And if if that's blurry to you, you need to get your eyes fixed. Actually, that is blurry. (laughs) That's us. The light of his life shines into us, but as it moves through us, what comes out on the other side is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, self control. Galatians 5.22. Now the fruit of the spirit is love. Not the fruit of the Christian who tries the hardest. I have been among the group that tried the hardest and wanted to blow my brains out and take people with me. It, the frustration The frustration of truly loving God but feeling so miserable because no matter how hard you try, there are still some areas of your life that do not yield to righteous Christ-likeness. But the problem is my efforts get in the way. I cannot put faith in my good intention and faith in his work at the same time. They are mutually exclusive. All right, let me wrap this up. Let me show you just a couple. Let me tell you, God in his goodness has surrounded us with metaphors. Let's go to the next one. What is this? What is that right there? Right, an extension cord, right? So if I plug the lamp into that right now and went to turn it on, it wouldn't go on. I wouldn't get mad at the lamp. I wouldn't even get mad at the extension cord because I realized that an extension cord does not produce anything on its own, but it does allow something very important to flow through it. In and through, in and through, in and through. So if if, if this thing is not powering my lamp, the first thing I want to make sure of is that it's plugged into the source. You're the branch, he's the vine. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Not if you bear fruit, I will allow you to abide in me. But if you bear, if you abide in me, if you keep drawing life, drawing life, that's why we talk about, Lord, increase my awareness. 
That's why throughout the day, no matter what you're doing, there need to be moments where your spirit is just poised toward him so that his life can flow in and through. And then one more. What is this? It's a garden hose. Now, my next-door neighbor says, look, I'm going on vacation. Would you mind watering my plants around the house while I'm gone? No, I'd be happy to do that. So I go over, I get his garden hose, I turn it on, and nothing comes out. I don't get mad at the hose. I look to see if it's connected to the source. Getting mad at yourself is always counterproductive. It is always counterproductive. And they say, well, shouldn't I be bad when I just, just flat out sin? Sure, feel a little bit bad, but make sure it's just real short. You say, whoa, wait a minute now, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If I keep on, if I keep on beating myself up, I'm saying God does not tell the truth. You say, well, isn't that going to result in people just doing whatever they want? No, actually, the opposite's going to happen. I mean, see, that's like saying, if you've got an infection and you go to the doctor and he gives you antibiotics, well, isn't that just going to encourage you to go out and get yourself hurt and get more infections? No. But it is going to make you well because that medicine inside of you can do something for you that your best efforts cannot do. Jesus in you can change you in ways you can never, ever change yourself. And we need to be the kind of people who know that not only about ourselves, but about our brothers and sisters of the Lord. So when they blow it, how many know what it feels like to have your flesh flop out in front of everybody? That's when we need to surround one another and say, you blew it. Of course you did, just like we sometimes do. But let's just stand here for a minute and remind ourselves, he's in us. He's in us. Go ahead, be humble. Tell him you cannot change yourself. But ask him to change you. That's what I want you to do. Right now. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, anybody who's watching now, if you've never surrendered the ownership of your life to Jesus, my goodness, you're you're missing out on the greatest human adventure there is in all of creation. The adventure of having God in a way that's mysterious, miraculous, and inexplicable. Who wants to come and live inside of you by His Spirit and miraculously begin changing you from the inside out in the very things that you have wanted to change but have been powerless to do. If you have never surrendered the ownership of your life over to Jesus, I want to encourage you to be ready to do that right now. Because what he wants to do, well, he'll forgive you. Absolutely. That's not the, it's not the ultimate issue. He, his guarantee of forgiveness has always been there. But he wants to come and live inside of you. And I'd like for you to stand up with me, if you would, and bow your heads. I'd like for our friends who are our prayer team people to come on up in the front. There's going to be some friends right here in the front who, who are here for one reason and one reason only, and that's because they care about you and they want you to experience what it's like to surrender ownership of your life and have Jesus by his spirit come inside of you. So I'd like for everybody, just for a private moment, for a minute, just to bow your heads. 
wait just for a moment. If you're with us this morning and you've not done this, man, you are missing out on the greatest adventure life could ever offer because this is what God made you for so that you would be a son or daughter of his and experience the the, the reality of his love flooding your heart and mind. If that's you and that's what you want today, would you just lift up your hand so I can see it and we know who we're praying for? Real quick, if I mean if you're going if, if this is what you want. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? And if you're watching this uh, on Facebook live or whatever at home, if you've never done this, my goodness, this is the beginning of your eternal life. And rather than making a list of all you've done wrong, Jesus is going to wipe all of that away and come and live inside of you and begin the journey of changing you from the inside out. In a moment, we're going to give you an opportunity to come up here and one of these people just want they just want to talk with you and pray with you, hear your heart. But if you're a believer and you struggle in this area again and again, I know exactly how that feels. But some of that can be washed away today. It's always a journey, but but there can be a real breakthrough for you today to where your eyes are supernaturally taken off of yourself and become so aware of Christ living inside of you that you enjoy his transforming power coming in you and working its way through you. If that's you, we're going to invite you as the band begins to play to come up. If you raise your hand, please come up. Talk to one of our friends up here in the front. If you didn't raise your hand, but you're wishing now that you did, that's fine. Come on up. Tell them where you are in your life and they will pray with you. God wants to become so real to you. That when you walk out of this building in a few minutes, you will not have doubts in your heart about his reality and him living inside of you. Lord Jesus, make us more aware of you now. Make us more aware of you now. Make us more aware of you now. You are in us. You are in us.